Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Folks, we are in the second chapter of 1 Thessalonians. And I want to first draw your attention to today's title of the message. Today's title of the message is Free Speech. And I make note of that because we have already observed in the life and ministry of Paul and his uh, ministry team that the unbelieving majority who opposed Paul and Iconium and Lystra and Derby and Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea surely believed in nearly anything but free speech. Rather, they sought to silence Paul's teaching and that of his ministry through any means necessary, even physical violence. We know that when Christ returns, it will be much as in the day of Noah and of Lot. The majority will be unbelieving, uh, while those who believe uh, will be the minority. Uh, So it should not surprise us when we encounter stiff resistance. The unregenerated majority wants only to be told things that are pleasing to them. But the Apostle Paul did not yield to their intimidation. He did not rely upon freedom of speech to preach the word of God to those around him. It was freedom of conscience in his speech that he sought to achieve. Because our scripture reading already showed that God will judge men's hearts. He'll judge their hearts and he'll weigh our motives. Therefore, in preaching of the word of God by the spirit of God, the the conscience must bow to the holy scriptures and not to the influences and intimidations of men. When the Augustinian monk named Martin Luther was interrogated during a religious Inquisition, it was called the Diet of Worms, Luther was pressured to recant his theological positions, um, which included that God's grace is through faith alone. And Luther's response was the following. He said, unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything. For to go against conscience would be be neither right nor safe. God help me, here I stand. I can do no other. Folks, that is a more biblical notion of freedom of speech. True freedom occurs when your conscience recognizes that you are speaking in agreement 
with the Holy Scriptures. Not caving to external pressures formulated in the hearts of men. And whether it is social opinions of the secular man or vain traditions proposed by the religious man, when they are contradictory to what is clear in the word of God, to go against conscience and plain reason is neither right nor safe. On this day of our annual meeting, our fall congregational meeting, I'm speaking on behalf of myself and Rita. Uh, We want to express what a privilege it is to be united with a church, a local church that stands on the authority of the Word of God, a Bible church where our sole and final authority is the Word of God. Jesus stood against the religious Pharisees of his day, saying, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. As we are encouraged continually by each of you in the membership of this church, we echo a common sediment that we hear. We like it here. We like it here. The word of God is illumined by God's spirits indwelling all true believers, all of us together. His his word draws us in sanctification and understanding close to Christ and to one another. Thank you, Port St. Lucie Bible Church. Understanding scripture through plain reason is the goal that man might be encouraged, uplifted, and saved. So as I read the first six verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, boldness amid opposition. Boldness amidst opposition and honesty of heart. These have proven as the trademarks of the Apostle Paul. He writes, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. I'm not wanting to speak today at length about Paul's reference in verse 2 concerning the suffering, the maltreatment, the opposition that his apostolic ministry endured. 
But I must draw your attention to the fact that Paul himself, Paul himself repeatedly draws attention to his afflictions for the word of God. So if anything about the, the redundancy of this theme now annoys you, recognize it's the word of God that annoys you. Personally, I, I find it stirring to the soul. I truly do. It is stirring to my soul to read from this man who has enough conviction and enough courage and enough character to continue to preach God's word and Christ's gospel even while enduring much violence and emotional abuse. The word that the NASB translates mistreated in the Greek is the term hubrizo. It's where we get our English term hubris. It suggests to be severely where Jesus describes to his disciples how he would be, quote, mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. And sometimes we can fail to, to weigh the emotional toll. The severe emotional toll of being disparaged and insulted and, and spat upon for the word of God. And the Holy Christ, he truly suffered every type of maltreatment, every type of hubris in bearing our sins and our shame on the cross. Since the crowds publicly insulted Jesus, they did the same to Paul. Why would we find it such a strange thing if it were to happen to us? Why, why would we shrink back from it ourselves as if some strange thing were happening to us? For the Apostle Peter says, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Keep on rejoicing. Folks, their testimony of the apostles should keep us moving. It should keep us pushing and motivated. Yet it's also Paul's response that we must remember that is also like Christ. Christ, he did not, re, he did not revile in return when he was reviled, First uh, Peter 2.23, and Paul in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 12 says, When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until today. Folks, I hope to some level... This has happened to you. Because Paul's experience was a consequence of him freely speaking the word of God and the gospel. I hope that to some degree this would happen to each of us. 
as it happened to Paul, as it happened to Christ. Because the Christians in Thessalonica, they recognized it. They said, this guy really believes what he says. Speaking of the Apostle Paul. He speaks with conviction. Because Paul was unlike any other preacher they had met. It's much the same in Israel with Jesus. He's like a preacher they had never heard before. For our exhortation in verse 3, or perhaps it's better translated, our strong appeal, writes the Apostle Paul. Our strong appeal to you does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men. But God who examines our hearts. This is why Paul's conscience is clear. It's clear. He spoke God's truth in love. His conscience, his motive was clear. And verse 13 is going to show us in a couple weeks. This is the very word of God that he was taking to Thessalonica. Interesting enough, it, it, it doesn't appear yet at this point in the letter that, that Paul is addressing false teachers or false apostles or, or those who distorted his own teaching. That, that is something that Paul must address later and in other locations, other letters, especially in the letter to the Corinthians, especially in his epistle to Galatia. And we'll also do as we will see in 2 Thessalonians, his second letter to this church. But instead here, Paul seems to be addressing in general. He's addressing in general the deviant rhetoric that existed in his day. It's common to his day. In that first century, public speaking drew spectators much as uh, celebrities, as concerts, as pro sports do today, people would assemble. They would listen to pro professionally trained orators. Those who would speak philosophy is described in Acts chapter 17, uh, where uh, we see Paul at the Areopagus in Mars Hill in Athens. And these speakers, these orators, Folks, they were the social media influencers of their day. They were. And if a speaker was observed to be especially skilled, an especially skilled orator, uh, he would be applauded. He, the, the wealthy people would uh, invite them into their homes. Uh, people would splurge upon them. They would want to be seen with this public figure and folks, you could make a pretty cozy living at this. You'd probably be very surprised. Very surprised. You would probably be very surprised to learn that these professional lecturers, they would gather people into a large assembly. They would shower their audience 
with praise, flattery, and cleverly worded speech. And these preachers of a secular message were, were just simply delightful to listen to. Delightful to the ears. And believe it or not, these celebrity preachers could become millionaires through their motivational speaking. It's true. Believe it or not, that could happen. And you thought the, the false health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel, was some kind of new invention, right? You know, something that came out of the 90s. Folks, the false proposition that God approves of any lifestyle and simply wants to shower you with, with blessings again and again while you frolic about in sin, that wasn't invented in Houston. Folks, the lie, the outright lie, that it's God's desire for everyone to prosper, to experience their best life now, that, that is not a message that is all original today. It is not new. It, it's always been around. So don't let it tear you all up inside, all right? Don't let it tear you all up inside that so many people are willing to listen to that. Most public orators throughout history have told men and women things that they want to hear. It, it's how they make a living, folks. But there's no freedom in their speech that, that keeps their audience captive. Of them, Romans 16 and verse 18 speaks. Paul says, For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. They're slaves of their appetites, who enslave others to their bellies. Everything they preach is about maximizing your pleasure today. And 2 Timothy in verse uh, chapter 3 says, From among them are those who enter into households and, and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Boy, is this movie being played today? In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 26, we read that these same men and women are, are held captive by the devil to do his will. You know that image impressed in your mind from the religious television of our day. It's a very tragic picture. A very tragic picture that captivates weak-willed people who want to be told that they can have all that their heart desires. Folks, there is no freedom from sin offered through the prosperity gospel. 
There is no freedom in that. It is captivity to sin that is provided. Most public speakers we hear, most of them that we hear, social media influencers, talk show hosts, politicians, many preachers, they tell people what they want to hear so that they can make money. It was the same back then. It was the same back then. And you know what Paul says to Thessalonica? He says, you know that I'm not like that. I'm not at all like that. Paul says, my message brought to me suffering. But in verse 4, he says, We have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor as a pretext for greed. God is witness. Paul says of him and his ministry team, we have been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel. And the true message of the gospel, the true message that God does not accept us as we are, but that our sin is so repulsive to God that his his precious, sinless son had to be punished and die by crucifixion to pay the sin debt for what we are. That's offensive. That's offensive. No one can attempt to claim that the Apostle Paul here is trying to please men. No one can claim that this is a flattering Speech to men. And folks, this is the gospel that we preach to you today. That Christ had to suffer and die for who we are. That he might give new life and impart to us eternal life in place of our sin. But the reality that you come into a relationship with a holy and righteous God only through personally trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior and that all other world religions are fake news, that message of the gospel isn't going to win anybody a Pulitzer, Pulitzer Prize today. It just isn't going to happen. But to as many as received him, speaking of Christ, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, it wasn't a physical thing, nor the will of the flesh, it wasn't something we achieve, nor of the will of man, it's not something that we can do, but born of God. Jesus says, you must be born again. 
You have to be made alive, folks. And Ephesians 2, verse 3, there, this same Paul says, Oh, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. We've all done it, right? Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, says Paul. And we were by nature children of wrath. But God, but God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were still dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together in Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And God does it through the good news, that is the gospel of a bloody cross. Folks, that's why we refer to it as Good Friday. And what makes the news of Jesus' crucifixion, his death, his burial, but then his resurrection, what makes that such good news is that the bloodied cross proves that God has created a way for rebellious man to be reconciled to him. Amen? What glory! That God has created a way for us to be reconciled to him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, however, says the word of the cross, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's some good news. That's some good news. So we too, as a congregation, we too, like Paul, have been approved to preach this same gospel, entrusted with the same gospel of God, and we preach Christ. But don't expect anybody to come up afterwards and ask for your autograph. It just isn't going to happen. Expect something entirely different. Because just before arriving in Thessalonica, Paul and Silas were, this is in Acts chapter 16, they were beaten with many blows and imprisoned for preaching this very same gospel. The very same gospel that we preach, they preached in Philippi. And after a series of events that led to them being imprisoned, and another series of events that led the Philippian jailer, the person who had authority over that jail, to decide he was going to commit suicide. Through that series of events came the good news. And the Apostle Paul and Silas stopped him. And the jailer asked, Men, what do I have to do to be saved? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household believe on the Lord Jesus. And we are told that they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his household. 
Therefore, we know that at least all the members of his household were able to understand and comprehend what it was that Paul and Silas were saying. They, they understood the, the seriousness and the gravity of making a profession in Christ. For this was the very man who was commissioned to imprison Paul and Silas for that message. The Philippian jailer knew the cost. And it says that the jailer took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately the Philippian jailer was baptized. He and all his household. Wow, that is good news. So in the light of this same gospel that has the potential to land you in prison, we have three men who have so far requested to profess their faith in this same Jesus through water baptism. And that currently is scheduled for December 5th. It will be immediately following worship. And if you are ready to make a profession of your faith, that you are ready to die for yourself, and that you are ready to be identified with this same Christ, I'd like to hear from you. I'd like to know why. And this gospel brings glory to God. It doesn't bring glory to man. It brings persecution to man. Because it's not flattering speech. And it should not make you wealthy. Verse 4, it is not pleasing to men, but it is pleasing to God who examines or, or tests our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. We did not seek glory from men. Folks, Paul is preaching from a clear conscience here. The true freedom comes when you tell people the truth without any ulterior motive of wanting something from them. With no, no other motive of wanting to become rich and famous. Folks, preachers should not be living the lifestyles of the rich and famous. In fact, no Christian should. Because there, there's not a different code of ethics for pastor Christians and every other Christians. Think about that. True preachers should be leading us all, including myself, as Christ commanded into a lifestyle of sacrifice and suffering. Folks, we're all just a vapor. We're here for a little while, and then we'll be gone. And the Apostle Paul asks, well, what then is Apollos, and what is Paul? And then he assures us that Paul and Apollos, they aren't anything. They're only servants of God through whom you have believed. About our passage this passage that we're studying today. Jerome, 
You might have heard of Jerome. He was a very skilled 4th century uh, theologian. He wrote extensively on moral ethics. He ironically became uh, the man who famously translated the Greek scriptures into the Latin Vulgate. That Jerome. Well, he made this statement concerning preaching in reference to this passage. Jerome said 1,600 years ago, thereabouts, quote, when teaching in church, speaking to pastors here now, when teaching in church, seek to call forth not applause, but groans. <laughs> that was unexpected. He continues, let the tears of your hearers be your glory. He says, a presbyter's or an elder's words ought to be seasoned by his reading of scripture. Do not be a declaimer or a ranter, one who gob gabbles without rhyme or reason, but show yourself skilled in the deep things and versed in the mysteries of God. Give your emphasis to explaining the deep things of scripture. The final point I would like to make about our passage before we depart is one that Jerome picked up on 1,600 years ago. He said, don't be a declaimer. Don't be a ranter. To declaim means to use your position or your platform to relentlessly denounce others. To constantly rant about things. And Jerome picks up on that this is because he apparently had already noticed in his day that sometimes this passage has been misapplied to propose that, you know, Paul is suggesting that pastors should just get up there and insult people. Sunday after Sunday, insulting and ranting. Uh, but when Paul says that I did not become a man-pleaser nor did I come with flattering speech. He's already clarified it was the content of the word of God that was offensive. It wasn't Paul that was offensive. His content of the word of God was so offensive that it brought him persecution rather than praise. So Paul isn't suggesting through this passage that pastors are just supposed to get caustic. It was the content that Paul was worried about. Elsewhere, Paul writes, Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Amen? So Paul in this passage isn't giving us license to just verbally become bombastic against everyone and everything that annoys us. Pulpit's not a platform where the preacher gets get everything off his chest that annoyed him during the last few weeks. We'd never get out of here. 
and I'm getting hungry. I have found that if you teach progressively verse by verse, you'll eventually get there. You'll eventually get there. We are a Bible church, folks. This is a place where we teach the very word of God and where we preach Christ. That's offensive enough. Let's pray.